Conesty, how are you? Welcome to another special podcast. I had been kind of tentatively starting to call these the isolation sessions, but having thought about it a little bit, we're going to think of these as the connection sessions because we're physically isolating, but socially we're connecting in all kinds of different ways. So what you're about to hear is a story that was recorded live in Whelan's in February 2020. And the storytellers are Rue O'Shea and Aaron Hegarty. And the story you're going to hear is a nice, long, continuous tale. So settle in, grab a cup of tea, and uh, I'll be back with you after this story. The Tawn Bow Fleadus, also known as the Mayo Tawn. Enjoy. Great Hall. King Krohor Magnasa observed the people gathered there. He was a young king, not long in this position. His mother, Elsa, had married Fergus MacRoy. Fergus of the long, brilliant sword, Ilkhan. Fergus, who looked as though he was a great oak tree when standing next to any other men because he would stand his head and shoulders above them with a big curly head of hair. Fergus, who foolishly offered up the kingship of Ulster in exchange for Nasa's son to claim the kingship for just a year. But after that year went by, He was not let take back the kingship by the men of Ulster. They decided they preferred Crohor. Now Crohor was newly in his kingship as he observed people playing music, telling stories, feasting, until they heard a cry. This shriek was from inside the belly of a woman married to Phelamwood, the harper. His wife fell down, he caught her, and this shrieking noise of a child unborn was very unsettling for anyone who heard it. Every woman's ears pinched as people moved back away from this unholy sound until Kaffa the druid, he placed his hand on the belly of this woman and quietened that shrieking sound. In that moment, he was met with a vision. He saw that this child would be born and her name would be Deirdre and she would lead a tragic life of love, jealousy, and despair. And she would be the most beautiful woman Ireland had ever seen. And so 
she would rip or crave ruin in two. Now when everyone in the hall heard that, at the great fighting faction, the Red Branch, the Crave Rua, would be destroyed and ripped in two, all because of this unborn child. They demanded she be killed while still inside the belly of her mother. Fergus did not know what he would do, but it was not his choice to do anything. And he looked at the young king, Crohor, who had a heavy burden now to make this decision. And he decreed the child would not be killed. He would show mercy, and the child would be left to grow up in a secret place. And when she came of age, he would marry her. For a while, this was fine. Fergus McRoy was put in charge of the boys' troop of Owen Maka to train the great heroes, the next generation, the sons of the great Crave Rua. And he taught so many of them the honor and justice, the way of the warrior to fight fiercely in the battle and always to uphold your word, to match words with great deeds. And he trained Young Satanta saw him change his name, become Kukulin. They trained his own sons, Rough Red Boina, Manya, and even Krohor's sons as well. And as he trained so many, Fiaku and Fiaka, he saw Nisha, Anlan, Ardon be the greatest warriors he'd ever trained. These were like lions in the fight. And it was said that if Ulster was empty of anyone at all, but the three of them, those three men could stand shoulder to shoulder and clear out any enemy that came to Ulster. So fierce were they in the fight. Then news came to Fergus that they had ran away to high-hilled Alban because Nisha stolen the heart of Deirdre and Deirdre had fallen in love with Nisha. For a time he was heartbroken not to have those three men by his side until he begged Krohor to let them back. Years went by. So many years he thought Krohor's mood might have changed. He thought the anger that had risen in him might have been subdued. He thought perhaps that ego that had glared as he declared that their heads would roll for the injustice of stealing away his bride-to-be might dissipate. And so he went to High Hill Alban when Crohor sent him with a promise that he would forgive them and let them back into the Crave Ruler. Fergus did not see the trick coming as he was led away to a feast the day he brought back Nisha, Anla and Ardon to Ulster and Fergus was under Agesh never to refuse a feast and so he left their side and when he returned 
to Owen Maka. He saw it in flames, and he saw the heads of Misha Anlan Ordon roll down the hill as he took out the great sword Leocon, and with an arc like a rainbow, he cut down ten men that came at him then, these monster mercenaries that were sent to fight the three warriors, Misha Anlan Ordon, and he rose a great cry to rip the grave Roa in two to fight for honor or to fight for their king and those they stood next door to each other and they glared and a deadly fight ensued as brother against brother comrade against comrade fought for the fight that was either to, for Fergus's side or for Crocours and when the sun set on that bloody day when more blood ran down the hills of Awanmaka than had been beating in the hearts of the men who had heard the prophecy of Deirdre of the sorrows he left Fergus left Ulster with half of the crave rule Deirdre she ended her life by dashing her head off a cliff that was the end of her sorrowful life but Fergus swore he would take a vengeance on Crahor in a day to come a battle that was not yet fought in the meantime he would go to his worst enemy or his greatest enemy he went to Connacht he went to Queen Maeve of Cruachan I Queen Maeve of Kruokon, I was only delighted to hear about all this mad stuff going down in Ulster. Ulster ripping itself apart and everything falling apart over some good-looking young one. It's brilliant news to her ears. And Fergus MacRoy's reputation preceded him. And Queen Maeve had heard all about Fergus MacRoy. And she was only delighted that this manly tower of man strength was coming all along to her kingdom. Fergus had a reputation as being a bit of a womanizer. Um... Maeve had a reputation of having a, a, a sexual appetite to match his. In fact, it was said about Maeve that she needed 30 men in one day, each waiting at the door, one after the other, to keep her satisfied. Or, and this is my favourite bit, as she was about to find out, she either needed that or Fergus McRoy. <laughs> oh, indeed. And so she invited Mr. Fergus McRoy and his big sword right into her bedchambers. Had a great time for themselves. They're having such a good time that Maeve forgot all about her husband, Aliel MacMartok, who wasn't in the best of humor while this was going on. Now, Maeve and Aliel, by necessity, had this pact that neither of them could have any jealousy between them, and they were both terrible at living up to this pact. It was a disaster, it didn't work, but they sort of went along with it anyway. Um, Aliel was so put out, so upset, so demasculated by this situation that he thought he'd get his own back on Mr. Fergus Bigsword and he went and he robbed that big sword and replaced it with a wooden replica and Fergus McRoy failed to notice because he was highly distracted at the time. <laughs> anyway, 
Fergus and they were off having a great time for themselves. And all of the other Ulster men in the hall of Crew O'Connor were having a great time too because they'd been welcomed in as esteemed guests of the Queen of Connacht herself. And when you're an esteemed guest of the Queen of Connacht, people have to treat you as such. And they were being wined and dined and every single of one of their needs was being looked after to the most minute detail. And they were all absolutely delighted with life. Except for one fella. His name was Bikru of the Bitter Tongue. And he earned that name because he was a bitter little bollocks who liked causing lots of trouble. In fact, Bikru pops up in stories from time to time and it's always to serve the same function. Things are going a little bit too well, so Bikru comes along and he stirs the shit and he makes everyone nice and angry and pissed off and he just kind of sits back and enjoys the drama as it unfolds around him. This story is no different. It's Bikru. He was a bit, he, everyone was a bit too happy for him in the Hall of Kruokon. So he had to do something about it. He was starting to get a bit antsy. He wasn't being able to wind anybody up. So he was about to head out and explore Connacht and see what trouble he could find out in the lands. The lads all warned him, just, whatever you do, Bikru, stay away from the Gaunria, from that fighting tribe of Connacht, from that tribe of warriors who were the match of the Red Branch Knights of Ulster themselves. Bikru, his interest peaked, asked a bit more about this Gaunria tribe of warriors. And he was told that their leader was a man by the name of Olio Fionn, a charismatic, handsome, well-liked, high-status individual who had many great battle deeds behind his name and under his belt. And his wife, her name was Fleatus, and she was beautiful, beautiful woman with soft flowing hair, a woman so in touch with nature that nature would just blossom and flower and bloom all around her just in celebration of her very presence. And the woman who had magical links to the other world, who could step in and out of this world and the other world, and who, it is said, one day stepped out from behind a rowan tree, leading behind her a cow with red ears because red ears is a sign of a magical thing from the other world, in case you didn't know that. The cow with red ears was called the Mwail, and this cow was indeed a very magic cow indeed. They owned loads of cattle because they were hot shit, you know, that's how you knew you were really hot shit back in the day, but this particular cow really made them like super hot shit, and everybody knew about it, it was really cool. Because this cow could feed 300 men with one milking. You could run an army off the back of this cow, the Mwail, and they were very pleased to have it. So, Bikru, having accrued all this information, made straight for Dunfleetus, the fort of this beautiful, soft-haired woman, to see what would happen. He went up there, and he banged on the door, and she let him in, slightly wary at first, but when she found out that he was a guest of Queen Maeve herself, she rose to the occasion in an appropriate manner, and she invited him in, and she fed him, and she spoke to him at length, and Bikru was telling her all about what had happened in Ulster, and how Fergus MacRoy had led this band of exiles down to Connacht. And the moment Fergus's name was mentioned, there was a bit of a shift in Fleeta's personality. It's like, it's like she started to blush a little bit. And Bikru wasn't a man to notice, to, to let these, so, these sort of cues just slip by him. He noticed, and he lit on it. And he pressed her for information and she eventually blushingly admitted to him that she heard all about Fergus and she'd always had a bit of a thing for him and that she used to in fact write him love letters every month back in the day when she was a younger lady 
and Big Crew said, oh yeah, sorry, Fergus can't read, that's why he never wrote back to you. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I wondered about that, all right. But is it true how gorgeous he is? And Big Crew assured her that yes, he was indeed as absolutely gorgeous as she'd heard. And then Big Crew said, do you know who else I hear is absolutely gorgeous? Your husband, Aliel Fionn, that you're married to. Yeah, I hear he's a great lad altogether. God, you must love him. You must never have eyes for any other man at all. I hear he's great. And she only blushed more furiously. Bikru eventually took his leave with a little smirk on his face. And he headed back to Cruach on Eye. And he went straight up to Fergus McRoy and told him about this amazing flatus of the beautiful soft flowing hair, this lady so in touch with nature, this lady, the owner of the Mwail, that famous cow that they'd all heard about who could feed 300 men in one milking, and how she was gorgeous altogether. Queen Maeve overheard this because Big Crew made sure to say it loud enough for Queen Maeve to overhear this. And Queen Maeve was no better with the old jealousy than her husband was. And she went up to Fergus McRoy and she said, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going and planning on meeting this Fleetus now, would you, Fergus? You're here as my guest and I expect you to stay as, here as my guest if you catch my drift. And Fergus absolutely assured her up and down, oh God, yeah, no, never, never I, I know what the, what the story is, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't dream of it now, so I wouldn't. <laughs> Very next day, Fergus was completely gone. <laughs> out the door. Now he decided not to bring all of the Crave Rua with him, the exiles, just, just like maybe one or two. So, now, just to avoid confusion, he brought another Fergus with him. <laughs> and he wouldn't have to learn anyone's names, it was hard. Uh, and then his brother, Murdoch. So that was fine. The three of them set off. They looked, you know, we'll, we'll steal away. First light set off for Dunfleetus. Now that was by Loch Carroll Moor, it's a big lake in Connacht, and just north of Loch Carroll Moor is Loch Con, where Oliel Fionn was housed and was homeland. Well, he was the leader of the Gowan Rhea, which were to Connacht what the Crave Rua were to Ulster, and a fierce and deadly faction of fighters. Well, Fergus thought, you know, we'll just go straight for Loch Carroll Moor, see Fleetus, have a lovely time. The fact that she likes me already, sure, that's great he thought, because, you know, women who don't like you, you have to talk to them, and... <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> Best of times. He preferred when he could just open his arms and let them jump on him. So, he thought, you know, belt off first, like, what could possibly go wrong? And he belted it up anyway, and he met a group of lads, now about two-thirds of the way there. They are nearly there, and a group, what had to be the going Rhea, were coming towards him led by Oliel Fionn. And Oliel Fionn said, a lad with a bitter tongue told me that you're on your way to see my wife in Dunfadus. Is this correct? And now Fergus hadn't a subtle bone in his body, so he just said, Aye. <laughs> Surely. Would that be okay? <laughs> Not really. So he took out his sword and the going Rio and racing towards them and Fergus held up his hand and called for single combat at least because they were completely outnumbered. This would be a slaughter. 
And so all Ilfion nodded and paced up and down and waited for Fergus to take out his sword and join him in the fight. And as Fergus McRoy took out the great, big, beautiful sword, Leo Khan, he looked at the wooden replica and saw, oh, fuck it anyway. <laughs> And so he jumped behind other Fergus's shield, who was also standing beside his brother Muraduk, and they held up the great heavy shield as the rest of the Gonria jumped in and attacked with a flurry of swords and spears that were going and they were ducking and darting and running behind great pillars and stones and trying to avoid all of the missiles that were being thrown at them as they were surely about to die. Philetus came walking towards them, and she seemed not to leave a footprint grass as she moved so effortlessly and fast she draped a gown over the shield stopping all sword and spears because she kind of had that effect on people she didn't have to say anything everyone was just a bit confused <laughs> that's what the garment over the shield meant <laughs> were they friends now are they supposed to stop fighting they all looked all little fun and he didn't know what the fuck to do either. <laughs> Philetus very calmly said, These are my guests. Let them in to Don Philetus and please don't kill them. <laughs> all little fun said, Yes, of course I can. So as soon as they were inside the gates, he grabbed other Fergus and Murdoch and threw them into a cell, into a jail, and said, He can rot there for a while. And then he stripped Fergus McRoy off and hung him outside on the walls of Dunfleetus, pegging him with stones, laughing and jeering, and looking at Fleetus, thinking, he's not that well hung. <laughs> but back in Kruakonai, a lady who considered him well hung indeed, heard this news that her favourite plaything of the day was currently hanging bollock naked outside of Dunfleetus. And Queen Maeve didn't take well to this piece of information at all. She took it as a very personal, insulting thing. And an anger came upon Queen Maeve. And when an anger comes upon Queen Maeve, shit goes down. And so she gathered all of the tribes of Kruakonai, all the fighting men together, to assemble an army but that army didn't seem quite big enough to be dealing with this problem just yet so she got all the Ulstermen who were still hanging around and got them to fill out the army a bit more and she thought oh, I still think I'm still pretty angry I want more people so she sent for some mercenaries from Munster to come and fill out the ranks and they came like that and when, when, they, when they arrived when the army was full they set off marching through the barren lands of Connacht getting whipped by the Atlantic wind as they went on their ways now the local people reacted with great hostility when they saw the sight of these monster mercenaries, when these Ulster men, they didn't know what was going on and they didn't think it was going to be anything resembling something good. And so they attacked from the shadows, from the forest, they flung weapons and a spear came flying through the air, aiming directly at Queen May's heart. She got out of the way at just the last moment, but that spear hit her daughter was riding along behind her, her daughter Red Kena, her beloved favourite daughter who had come along with her. And Red Kena fell off her horse, bleeding from her chest. She went pale and she died there and then on the ground. And Queen Maeve sang a lament for her, 
said dig ye her grave and her grave was dug and seven whole days of mourning and ritual were observed by Queen Maeve and her army at the end of those seven days there was a different energy by Queen Maeve so she went and she put on her favourite green dress this is a dress that she wore when she really wanted to create an impression and she wrote eight identical letters she wrapped them up in an identical manner in identical parchment and each of these eight letters came uh, contained a very similar message these were letters for the leaders of the Gaunria, for eight of its strongest warriors and she asked them all to meet her at different points different times in and around Dunfleetus before the sun rose these messages were sent out and each one of these eight men responded to them and Queen Maeve rode out to these eight men wearing that very seductive highly influential green dress and told them that were they to abandon the Gaunria and join her army she would make them the king of the Gaunria once Olil Fionn was disposed and she told each and every one of these eight men the exact same message and each and every single one of them adhered to it and abandoned Olil Fionn and joined Maeve's army and by the time the sun rose the rest of that army had caught up with Queen Maeve and Queen Maeve stood outside Dunfleetus where Fergus MacRoy was still hanging naked looking down and the battlements were armed by the Gaunria who were ready to fight and the approaching army surrounded Dunfleetus and their weapons were bared and they were ready to fight then Olil Fionn stepped out and he said there's no need to waste life here we can do this by single combat. Olil MacMartoch, who is Queen Maeve's husband, that jealous little beggar, he piped up and he said, well, it's the Ulster men's leader who is dangling naked above us. Obviously, the Ulster men should be the ones to fight Olil Fionn. Grumbling, they adhered to this. And the first Ulster man stepped up and he fought with Olil Fionn and was swiftly put to death. Same happened with the second Ulster man and the third, while, while Fergus MacRoy watched on from above, weeping with anguish and frustration, watching his friends die beneath him. After many fights, eventually, all the, the single combats for that day were put on hold until the next day. Fleetus invited her husband Olil Fionn over to have a drink of mead at first he was hesitant he wanted to keep his wits about him but she insisted she told him how much he needed a drink how much he deserved it after that day of fighting that he just had so he had that drink of mead and then she insisted that he had another one and another one and another one until he was absolutely langered lads he was absolutely wrecked and fleed us questioning herself at every moment wondering if it was the right thing to do or not but following her heart maybe a bit more than her head sent a message out to Queen May's army telling them that now was the time to strike if they wanted to free Fergus MacRoy and strike they did Olil Fionn not being compass enough to defend his army to lead his people decided to run away and they followed after him in hot pursuit by Queen May's army he was legging but legless but he was running for the west coast kind of 
zigzagging his way and he sent a runner ahead of him because he was a lot faster and a lot more sober than him. And he said, go to Kirtan, get a boat ready, tell him to prepare, he's a friend of mine, we go back years. We used to visit each other from house to house. We've, we've known each other a long time. We'll get a boat ready and we'll sail. Don't worry, it'll be grand if we have it all sorted. <laughs> and so he wasn't quite so sure was his leader very wise in this decision, but he went anyway. And so they ran out of breath, but you know, he was really dogged and determined. And I don't know, the sweat pouring out of him, it just seemed like he could go all night. Just maybe he had whiskey legs or something. So he ran to the coast and he got there and he was looking out at the boat that was prepared. The runner had done his job and he was waiting to jump on board. But as they got to the beach, Kirtan set sail before they got a chance to board. He was shocked and horrified and he called to Kirtan saying, What are you doing? You're sentencing us to death. And Kirtan looked back you don't remember the last time you were here, do you? He said, what are you, what are you talking about the last time, man? Maven army and the mercenaries from Munster and fucking Fergus, the bollocks, and they're all about to kill us. What are you, what the fuck is wrong with you? You really don't remember, do you? The last time you stayed in mine. You sure you don't remember? What are you talking about? What the fuck is wrong with you? I'm going to die. It's about to... You don't fucking remember sleeping with my wife, do you? Oh, but I thought we were good friends. We could share. You don't like sharing wives. Fuck it. I was totally worth it, though. Fuck you, anyway. I picked up a stone. And he threw it through the head of Kirtan, knocking his head from his shoulders, and it landed on the beach. And from that day forward, it was named Trokin Kirtan, the head, the beach of the head of Kirtan. No, they legged it, and he was still kind of legless, but they got to a hollow. Lugnafulla was the name, the bloody hollow. And they stood there, and they said that's where they would make their last stand. As 90 men of the Goan Ria were with all Ilfion, they slowly but surely got surrounded by Maeve, Fergus, the Red Branch, the mercenaries and the men loyal to Maeve and as they surrounded and were getting hounded in all of the Gonria they fought valiantly but they filled that hollow with their blood as they died but all Ilfion will he kill more men that day than he killed in the entirety of this battle until Fergus finally got his sword back off all Il McMartin Finally, he faced all Elfion and he said, this time you'll die. And then, in a moment of inspiration that was recorded by the bards and the poets that, was so, that saw that moment, they took down what all Elfion said because he came out with one of the greatest poems that we still have today as he said these words verbatim. May you die, monster scum with wet arses without ceremonies or mourning and be chased around this bloody hollow by the hounds of hell until the end of time. Fuck ya. <laughs> and then he fought Fergus and it was said that he died like a prince that day but die he did. Fergus had a bright 
because Fergus realized that like all he wanted was a bit of romance, maybe a bit of a ride with Juan Fleetas, and this is all gone a bit out of hand. He's looking around, it's like this dead fella was head off in front of him, and this whole army and your man Kirtan back at the beach, and it was, it was all a lot like he just wanted the ride. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can rescue this situation, thought Fergus. Yeah. A present. She'd be grand if I get her an old present. And he turned to the lads and he said, What do you reckon? Will I get her a present? The lads said, That sounds like a brilliant idea, Fergus. What would be how about flowers? And Fergus was just like, Why would I get her flowers? They're they're really easy to kill. Like it won't mean anything to her. Do you know what was really hard to kill? This lad, her husband. I know what'll do. And he picked up Olil Fion's head, stuck it on a big stick that he found nearby. Said she's gonna love this, <laughs> and they went back up to Don Fleetus. And Fleetus was waiting there, she was waiting for her man to return to her, but she kind of didn't know which man she was hoping for. And when the big, oaky, brawny figure of Fergus McRoy appeared on the horizon, she assumed the worst for poor old Aliel Fionn, but her heart couldn't help but leap to her chest with joy and Fergus approached her and he had a friendly smile on his face and he was advancing towards her and he had something behind his back too and she wondered what it was and when he got in, up, right up to her he took it out behind her and presented her husband's head to her like a bouquet of flowers she was absolutely traumatized she fell to the ground crying weeping lamenting keening talking about all Lil Fionn and all his great deeds they like her sense all of a sudden came rushing back to her that this big brawny fucking Egypt from Ulster had just killed her husband that she had kind of participated in in, a, in a, quite a significant way and now her husband was dead she was very upset lad and Fergus was just standing there thinking I don't understand women at all. <laughs> fair, fair. She got her a nice present of tough. <sighs> she was inconsolable and Fergus couldn't get her to move. He looked around helplessly at the lads and they were just kind of like, mm, I don't know, get the cow at least. We'll salvage something from this. Go get the whale. But the whale was absolutely inconsolable. And the whale was weeping and lamenting just as much. As, as his own, as her owner, Fleetus. So Bikru of the Bitter Tongue got over to the whale. He knelt down in front of her and he whispered something in the whale's ear. And nobody knows what it was that he whispered. But the whale stood up anyway. And the whale started following Bikru along. And Fleetus eventually got up off her feet, still sobbing. And the army started marching back down south towards Kruakonai thinking that that was the end of this strange little chapter of their lives until they came to a big open plain, a plain that would soon be known as the Plain of the Whale, And they were met with a very strange sight indeed. See, all of those other leaders, Maeve and Offa, the leadership, McGow and Rhea, they got talking to each other, didn't they? And they realised that they'd been tricked. They didn't like being tricked. People in Mayo today still don't like being tricked. 
so they all got together. They all got their clothes off. They stood bollock naked on top of a pile of heads from every one of the men that had been killed up until that day and mounted it and looked at it, holding up the head of Maeve's own daughter, calling for the attack. And a bloody slaughter was made out on that plain that day. But Donald of Witha, the father of all Ilfion, was running down to meet this battle because he had an army of wolfhounds that had been trained from being pups to go after blood. And when they smelt the blood on that battlefield, they went stir crazy. And when they saw the monster men fighting, they ripped right through them. And those men may not have died around that bloody hollow but every one of those monster men died with wet arses being torn apart by those devilish hounds from hell and every one of those hounds was in the spell of that fierce and deadly fight as Fergus McRoy fought with the Crave Rua against the Gowan Rhea. The fight was terrible and he faced Donald of Widya. He killed him until Muraduk the Stutterer the son of all Ilfion, well, he called out a brilliant b b battle cry, and everyone came to him then, because they understood how hard it was for him to do that, and they stood with him, and they were really inspired by his attempt to m m m make a really good speech, and so they went at it so hard, so fast, and so furiously, that according to the Mayo men, still to this day, the Gowan Rhea beat Maeve back with those monster scum and Fergus McRoy and all Hill McMorduck as they went scurrying away. They won back the Maeve, the Muel, and they won that day outright for all of Gowan Rhea, for all of the West, for all of the men and women of Mayo. They won that day. They all lived happily <laughs> ever. I'll just cut you off there, Aaron, actually, and there's an alternative ending to the story. <laughs> so people of Connacht, people of Connacht will tell you that the Gownria won the day and that they won them well back and that Fleatus went back with them and settled back into her life and it was all fine. It was a great big shoot for the Gownria. However, if you were to talk to somebody from Ulster, you might get a different story. <laughs> they would tell you that Queen Maeve's army actually repelled the, the attack of Murdoch the Stutterer and won them well. And that was the reason that they were able to fight on Tombo Kunlina shortly thereafter, that they were able to march that entire army off the milk of the magical Mwail. And that Fleatus, in fact, went back to Ulster with Fergus. And they lived happily ever, no, 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 they lived happily for a little while until one day they decided to go out for a walk. And they went to a forest and in that forest, a river flowed through it. And Fergus, all of a sudden, this pensive mood seemed to come upon him. And he walked out into the middle of this river and he beckoned for Fleatus to follow, her, follow him, which of course she did. She followed him right out to the middle of that river and touched him on the hand and asked him what was on his mind. And Fergus turned to her and looked at her with this head in him that, he'd never, that she'd never really seen by him before. And she said to him, do you remember back in Connacht? Do you remember up at Dunfleadus, at your old home? Do you remember that time you betrayed your husband? 
I don't think I could trust a woman who would do that. And Fergus, some people say, grabbed her then by her soft, lovely hair and brought her head down to the water where she died. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. So that story was one that we came across a couple of years ago for February. We have a show in February that we usually call For the Love of Gods. And we had been telling stories like Dermot and Gronia or Deirdre of the Sorrows, which are the Irish love stories. And they're generally terribly tragic. And there's something in this one that's a little bit more... I think a little bit more lighthearted, although it's still quite gruesome. These are stories of people who I think everybody in this is cheating on their spouse, which is just hilarious. And of course, Fleadus herself is a figure like a lot of the female characters in Irish mythology, a figure that we don't know a huge amount about. Um, She's said to have come from the other world leading the Mwail with her, this magical cow. And it said that the Mwail herself was the reason that Maeve was able to invade Ulster subsequently, because this cow was able to sustain her entire army, the milk from just this one incredible creature. Fleadus was also supposed to ride in a chariot that was pulled by wild deer, which is just a gorgeous image of a kind of a woodland goddess type person and I always get the sense with these kinds of characters that there's probably a lot more to them we've just let it slip away or lost it somehow which is always a little bittersweet because in one way it's sad that we've lost something that we once had and in another way it leaves a space for us to fill in with our own imagination and our own intuition. And that's where I try and look at these things from. (laughs) Or that's the perspective that I try and take. So I hope you're all taking full advantage of whatever space is opening up for you at the moment. It's a strange shift. It's a strange time to be alive. But I think it's really important in all of this strangeness to keep our eyes on the possibilities and not on the fear. And to keep our eyes on what we can create and what we can do with this space. So to those of you who are at home with families, to those of you who are at home alone, to those of you who don't have a safe space at home right now I am sending out my voice to connect with you wherever you are and with it all my best wishes and all of my hope that we all find a greater potential and keep our eyes and our minds on the possibilities that are opening up in the midst 
of this crisis. This podcast brought to you, produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. Uh, the story was by Rue O'Shea and Aaron Hegarty in Whelan's. I'm Sarika Hegarty and we are Candlelit Tales. If you like what you've heard tonight, if you'd like to support us, you can become a patron on Patreon. You can also find a link to give us a one-time donation on our website, candlelittales.ie forward slash podcasts. Should be a button up there at the top of the page. And uh, thank you for listening, because there's only one half of this connection that I can do, and the other half is you. <laughs>